There are two readings this morning from the Gospel of Mark and beginning in chapter 1, verse 14 to 20, and then verse 29 to 39. Let us hear the word of God. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. In this interim, Jesus enters into the synagogue where he teaches. And then we find these words. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So we traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. The Word of God. <clears throat> this morning as I was looking at this text, I thought I would, I, well, I didn't think I was actually asked to speak on something on the theme of getting away and resting uh, before God. And I thought I would talk about from this text on what could be called the unhurried life. Uh, as I was listening to James telling you a little bit about my background, I realized I got to update that CV. Uh, I'm no longer at Cornerstone Church. In fact, I stepped down about three years ago because I was trying to simplify my life and become a little less hurried. And then I moved to Paris, not France. Um, one of my uh, sons lives there. My other son lives in the, the town of Ancaster. And he said, why don't you and mom move a little bit closer so you can spend more time with the kids and do this, that, and the other. And my wife made the decision, so we moved to Paris. <laughs> so I had to step down from the church, and as soon as I get there, my son, who is the senior minister, well, the one son who is, he's the senior minister of a fairly large church there, said the denomination have asked he and his wife to go back to Africa for a year, where they had served for four years before, and they're to do a one-year project. And he said, oh yeah, by the way, can you look after the church and 
look after the staff of about six or seven. And I said, I was, I was trying to simplify my life. So I am preaching to myself this morning. And if you want to tune in, you're welcome to do so. But I want to think about this unhurried life. Well, the good news is he comes home in four weeks and I can simplify my life again. In our world today, we know that there are many categories of illness. And some people suffer from this sickness, which has been called the hurry up sickness. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but it actually does exist. It affects a large number of people because I've noticed that most people are in a hurry. Think about the things you buy. We will buy almost anything that promises us to enable us to go faster. I did some research and found out that the best-selling shampoo went to the very top of the market, but they combined two actions, shampoo and conditioner. So you didn't have to use two different bottles. Domino's Pizza became number one because they actually promised to deliver you a pizza within 30 minutes or less. And if they was late, you got it for free. Many people will choose to eat at the Golden Arches, not necessarily because it is good food, not necessarily because it is inexpensive food, but because it is fast food. And if that's not fast enough for you, they provide a drive through service so you don't have to get out of your car. The hurry-up sickness is a sickness that attempts to enable us to accomplish more and more in less and less time. There are some people who try to think and do more than one thing at a time. Psychologists call it polyphasic activity, or we now refer to it as multitasking, which means doing more than one thing at a time, but that's too long to say and takes up too much time, so we use one simple word. I'm, see, I'm sure you have seen people in their cars. They drive. I have seen people putting on eye makeup, lipstick. I saw a guy the other day shaving, drinking coffee, and some are trying to do all the above at the same time. When I think about Jesus' day, I believe that our culture is a lot busier than it was during Jesus' time. But the problem still existed, perhaps on a lesser scale. You could still be very, very busy, and people could be saying to you, hurry up, hurry up. But it's interesting that Jesus, in the busyness of life, had a principle of regularly withdrawing from the activities that he was engaged in, in order to be in a place of solitude and in a place of silence. Jesus learned how to slow it down. As we consider life, I think sometimes we wonder, what should I be doing? Is this what my life is all about, moving from one rapid activity to another? How can I use my life to the very fulfillment of each day. And so when we think about Jesus, he began his ministry, as we read in Mark's gospel, by calling four brothers, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. 
we are told that they were fishermen. They were engaged in a family business. And Jesus called them. And this is what I would say is our calling. We read that he said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. There was going to be a change in their life. And Jesus uses this fishing term, which is very common and known to all of us, to describe what is our true calling in life. I think people really need a reason for their life. And once you understand what the purpose of life is about, you can become really focused on that one task. So Jesus says to these four men, I invite you to come and follow me. And then he would teach them and he would mentor them for the next three years. And in that process, they would discover that in fishing for people, God's purpose is that he has called his people to love and to care for others. To me, that seems to be what it's all about. That God calls us to engage in his ministry of loving and caring for other people. And Jesus says, I invite all of you to join me in that calling and you will discover joy in life. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be easy. We will face all kinds of challenges in this journey that we are on. So no sooner had these four men accepted the call of Jesus to come and follow him, they discovered that there would be a lot of different challenges. They enter the synagogue where Jesus teaches. And as Jesus is teaching, the people are saying, we've never heard such teaching and with such authority. And then in the midst of the service, a man who is demonized begins to manifest and Jesus puts an end to it. And the people are amazed at the power of Jesus. And then he goes to Simon's house. And we discover in Mark 1, verse 32, what happened. He gets there and his mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law, is ill. Jesus raises her from her sickbed. She's healthy enough to enable others to prepare the meal. And she assists in that. And then after they've eaten, we are told that the whole village shows up at the door. And we are further told that Jesus cured many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. Now he did all that in one day. So I think we could honestly say it was a pretty full day of ministry for Jesus. I would say it was a busy day. What we discover is that the needs of people are great. As we are engaged in ministry, and some of you have been graduated from here for 25 years, others have been engaged in ministry even longer than that. And what you begin to discover very quickly is that people are looking for help. And God's healing touch is needed as much today as it was 2,000 years ago. And he's inviting us to bring his healing presence into all of life. In fact, 
What we are going to do as we face these challenges is that we are going to partner with God. So Jesus makes this incredible statement in John 14. He says, truly, the one who believes in me will do the work I am doing. In fact, you will do greater than these because I am going to my Father. So Jesus knew that he was here for a very limited period of time, but he calls his followers to continue the work that he has been doing in the years that they were with him. In fact, he says you're going to do even greater. Not that they're going to be more spectacular, but as God has equipped us and given us his spirit, we are going to be multiplying ourselves and our ministries throughout the world. Because in his life here on earth, Jesus was limited by time and space. He would only be at one place at one time. And as we are the church that gathers and then scatters, we continue the ministry of Jesus wherever we are. So think about what God is calling us to do as we partner with him. And Jesus is the model of ministry. I never see Jesus condemning the afflicted. He never uh, treats people as outcasts. And he doesn't become weary of their demands. Rather, Jesus reaches out and he touches the unclean person. He restores those who have been banished and invites them into community. And he invites those who are weary to come to him and they can find rest. Now, as I start to think about this, and maybe as you are thinking about it, we see that the possibilities of us engaging in this ministry can leave us breathless. And in fact, we realize that there are so many needs and there seems to be so little time in every day. And yet we're being called to the unhurried life. So what resources can we find? There are many, but I think in this gospel reading, there was one resource that is absolutely outstanding. And we read this. Jesus has gone to bed. He has ministered that whole day. And then in the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went to a deserted place to pray. Jesus took time to be alone in silence and in solitude before the Father. And as you begin to look at his life, that wasn't a one-time deal, but it became a habit, a pattern of his life. Or you might call it a spiritual practice or a spiritual discipline. Jesus was aware that he could not do the ministry that the Father had called him to in his own strength. but he could only minister in the power of God's strength. So here's the rhythm. Jesus would minister to people, then he would withdraw to a lonely place. There are many accounts of this. I was thinking of Matthew 14 where a large crowd had gathered and Jesus had been teaching them for a good portion of the day. The people are hungry and they need to have some food and they find there's a little boy with some loaves and some fish. Uh, the people eat. They are satisfied. Then Jesus dismisses the crowd and he says to the disciples, get into a boat 
and go across to the other side. And where's Jesus? He is alone on the mountain to pray. Later, he would tell his disciples, you need to be doing the same thing. When you minister, you need to come away and withdraw to a quiet place. What he is saying is this, that when you minister, if you're doing it in your own strength, the well is going to become dry. But as you minister and you withdraw, let God do in you what he will ultimately do through you. So if we want to, go to minister like Jesus, and if we want to follow him, we need to discover his resources for our life. It's interesting, Jesus never became emotionally exhausted. He doesn't seem to be stressed out. He doesn't say, I am burnt out. I've had too much of these people. He developed that rhythm in life. It doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't busy. Here is the Messiah, the Son of God. But it was, he ministered in a way that never affected his ability to love people and to care for them. And the way he safeguarded that was to develop periods of silence and solitude. So we go back. In the chapter on Mark's gospel, we find that in the morning Jesus is alone praying and the disciples are looking for him and they finally discover him. And they say, Jesus, the crowd is waiting for you. Let's go back and minister there. And Jesus says, no, we're not going there. We're going somewhere else. I often wondered, how does he know when to say yes and when to say no? How do you know when to say yes and when to say no to the demands or requests that are placed upon you? You see, for Jesus, he learned to listen to the voice of the Father. He wasn't driven by everybody else's agenda. And all too often, we are. You see, it's easy for us to become victims of what other people want. And we need to learn to say yes and to say no. But we will only know the answer when we learn to listen to the Father. And we will have compassion on people. Because as we take time to be personally renewed, we will discover God's grace and love, which will be extended through us to touch the lives of other people. But if we are constantly giving out, we lose our capacity to love and we suffer from compassion fatigue or burnt out, burnout. And that seems to be happening over and over and over again in the church. I told this to students recently in some of the classes. Uh, some of the research that's been done, and I've been part of the awareness of that program out of the United States, so take the American number and divide it by 10, because we are about one-tenth of the population. But every month in the United States, 1,500 ministers quit the ministry for good. They've just had it. They're emotionally exhausted. They're burned out. They're stressed out. And sometimes we have thought that busyness equates spirituality or an ind indication of a heart for God. Jesus was never stressed out, and he was never burnt out. At the end of his life, he said, Father, I have finished the work you gave me to do. Wouldn't that be amazing at the end of your journey to say, Father, I have finished the work you have given me to do. And so here is the invitation of the Lord. 
I want you to come apart before you come apart. Allow God to do in you what he will ultimately do through you. The Apostle Paul made this statement in his life. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that only happens as we stay connected to Jesus. I love the promise that the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said. The Lord gives strength to the weary and will increase the power of the weak. And those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Do you see the condition? I have to wait upon the Lord. And as I wait upon God, we're spending time together and developing that intimacy. There are many voices calling for your attention. And in the busyness, whose voice do you listen to? Everyone knows Psalm 46.10, which says, Be still and know that I am God. We love to sing it. Then we rush out to the next event. God says, I'm going to invite you this day to come apart. Allow me to renew you, to restore you. So let me invite you to consider finding quiet places. Set aside your responsibilities and concerns. Just stay before God. I recently read of a church that in their employment practices, you cannot be a pastor on their church staff unless you regularly have a Sabbath. And once a month, you must take an entire day off to be alone in silence and solitude. And if you don't do those two things, it's grounds for dismissal. I'm going to sign up. (laughs) God has been teaching me over the years about the value of silence, being alone, resting in him. For a type A personality, that's an enormous challenge. But let me tell you this. It's worth it. It's worth it. Let's pray together. God of grace and mercy, you called us to be yours, to enter into a living relationship with you that will be impacting the lives of others. Sometimes, oh God, we confess that we've been caught up in the busyness of life and our relationship with you is probably just at an intellectual level and it's not a lived out experience. Our prayer is that you would not only have mercy on us, but you would restore to us the joy of our relationship with you, which will last forever. Amen.